1: Except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 347 of Low Limit Football on this 23rd of January, 2022. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, the African Cup of Nations sees their defending champion Algeria knocked out in the group stages of the tournament. Powerhouse Ghana also eliminated, while Comoros and Malawi make it to the knockout stages. Mario Balotelli is set to return to the international duty for the Azzurri in a controversial call-up for Roberto Mancini. The African World Cup qualifying ties are announced. We're going to look at the matchups, and we're going to focus on South American qualifying and much, much more with our very special guest, South American journalist Tim Vickery, who will be joining us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. Are you all packed and ready to go, my friend?
2: Absolutely not. (laughs) Hi, Joe. How are you? Good. uh, Good to be back. And yeah, no, I think it's been quite a hectic week in terms of some... You know results that are happening in Afcon. Obviously, we got some really hectic matches coming around in World Cup qualifying. Mm-hmm. Also announced today in Africa. So yeah, it's going to be a very much a a few chaotic months, I would say, uh, for the sport of soccer.
1: You know, I, w- I was thinking about this because, and and if our our view, or if our listeners don't un- don't get it or don't know, this is going to be a very heavy international break episode. Um, Because of everything going on, normally this January window, this January-February window that we normally go into is a very boring window. There's usually not... Many things going on, it's normally experimental teams and friendlies and that sort of thing, but given where the World Cup qualifying is, especially due to COVID, and given that the the Qatari World Cup is just at the end of the year and it's very quickly approaching, we're at the end of January at this point, um, this window becomes ultra important for many, many teams, and I think we're going to dive into that in a little bit. Um, so it's, it's kind of weird, right? Normally you would just kind of get this little break here, but this time this is nothing, nothing like a little break. This is a very big break, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So let's, um, yeah, let's get to it and get to that discussion in just a little bit. But first, my friend, you have the trivia question. So if you would do the honors, my friend.
2: Yes, I will. So, over the last few days, um, we saw, this is a Premier League question, by the way, we saw James Ward-Prost of Southampton score his 12th career free-kick goal, placing him second in the all-time list of most career free-kick goals in Premier League history. He is tied with the record with two other players on this list, and is only sixth shy of this player. Can you name the two that are tied with Ward-Prost, and the name of the player with the most career free kick goals in premier league history.
1: Wow. That's going to be a tough one. Um, wow. I'm going to have to give that one some thought. I'm going to write down some names right now. Um, yeah, that's going to be a tough one. That's an interesting question. And we're going to bring you the answer at the end of the show. So opening thoughts are going to be the world cup qualifiers. And, and Roberto, I want I think I want to start in Africa. if That's okay with you. Um, you know, the African, uh, Pairings were announced earlier today, Uh, and I'm just going to get them up on my screen here because uh, there's one super, super tasty uh, matchup in this particular group of of teams, and I'll give you the the matchups. Ten teams, five make it to the World Cup. Uh, Tunisia-Mali, Morocco-Congo, Nigeria-Ghana is very tasty, Algeria-Cameroon, and the big one for me, Senegal-Egypt. Let's start with, with the uh, the Nigeria-Ghana and the Algeria-Cameroon matchups. Because right now, you know, when you look at the two teams that are probably best positioned to win this African Cup of Nations right now, you really point to Nigeria and Cameroon. And the biggest disappointments so far in this tournament, you've got to say, are Algeria and Ghana getting knocked out in the group stages. And it's very interesting that these two teams that are on a, on an upward swing um, are going to take these other two teams on that are on a downward swing. And you could very easily imagine... Uh, Algeria and Ghana going home. What are your thoughts on these two matchups going in so far?
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's quite chaotic. I, I think obviously looking at the way that um, really is tying into what's going on in Afcon is it, it's kind of like written in the stars in a way. You know, it's kind of like uh, we always make the the joke of how UEFA likes to rig their ties in the Champions League. Well, someone must have done something a bit extra in CAF when you look at a rematch of some of the the teams participating in the, um, in the group stages of the Afcon, So yeah, it's, it's quite tight really. I mean, you know, obviously looking into all of these games and I think the big one that stands up, obviously Egypt and Senegal, because you know, those are teams headed by two world-class players and two teammates in this case, uh, at Liverpool with Sadio Mane for Senegal and uh, Mohamed Salah at Egypt. So yeah, and the fact that both of these teams were in the World Cup uh, four years ago, so it's right. definitely going to be tasty. Then you got Ghana, Nigeria as well. You know the the two rivals in Africa. They have you know a lot of um, history within these two, and so you know <laughs> it's going to be another feisty matchup. And yeah, Cameroon, and Algeria, and I think this is the one where you know. i don't think algeria wants to suffer back-to-back embarrassment of getting knocked out of the group stage um as defending afcon champions only to be bounced out of the world cup two months later so they're definitely under that pressure and look at the other games yeah you got mali tunisia you know um tunisia was at the last world cup as well but uh you know mali are obviously a side that are going to be participating in in the round of 16 um Against Equatorial Guinea, if I'm not mistaken, and then you look mm. at the last one, you got DR Congo against Morocco. You know, Morocco side that we had uh, um, our guest last week. I mean, um, to talk about him, and you know, they're they're a feisty team. They're they're no pushover. So I think, um, yeah, it's it's hard to really decide that one. I mean, many people like to point to the fact that Ball is the hardest place to qualify for from. Um, for the world cup but uh, and we'll get to that with our guests in a bit but looking at these ties that we got in africa i'm thinking to myself no i think for this case for at least this qualification spot this is the one that is the most heated so i'm really excited about what's going to happen in march
1: i agree you know we, we going back to that senegal egypt matchup I mean, I mean for the most part i think many would say that senegal you know top to bottom are the most talented side in africa right now and the idea that they're going to go up against a player who is arguably the best player in the world at the moment in Mo Salah, um, that one of these two are going to go home. I mean, we talk about, you know, even in with Italy, uh, you know, going on in the European qualifiers, which they don't play this month, they play next month, um, or they play in March. But uh, the fact that Italy could possibly be um, knocked out or Cristiano Ronaldo could be knocked out if they, if the two face each other in their, in their path to getting to the World Cup. It's kind of a similar thing because you look at... Um, you you look at Italy being the defending European champions, and then you talk about one of the greatest footballers that's ever lived in Cristiano Ronaldo kind of, kind of along similar lines, the, the probably the best team in Africa right now in Senegal um, could either eliminate uh, the best player in Africa, regardless, you know, I know we talk about him in the world, but, but he's certainly the best player in Africa in Mosala. or Mosala could eliminate the best team in, in Africa at the moment. It's just an interesting parallel there. Um, I think it's really interesting to see the young teams in Cameroon and Nigeria with the success they're having at AFCON right now to be able to carry that along. And I don't have a lot of faith in Senegal at the moment because of, you know, they've, they've won their group in AFCON. They're, they're onto the knockout stages, but they've been very, very lackluster. I think they'd only scored one goal. Um, in the first two matches, it just it's it has not been, you know, this stellar performance that you expected out of them. So it, it is going to be interesting and It is a very difficult path. I mean, we're talking about Senegal, Egypt, Algeria, Cameroon, Nigeria, Ghana. Of those six teams, three will not be going to the World Cup this year. And I, I think that's just an incredible, incredible stat. Um, let's let's shift continents and let's head over to North America quickly, my friend, because as we stand right now in North America, you um, just looking at the final stages here to refresh everybody's memory. We currently have Canada leading the way with 16 points followed by the USA at 15 and then Mexico and Panama tied at 14 points with Costa Rica outside of that, um, that qualifying spot at nine points. And, and Jamaica's also made a, a nice little run here. Uh, they're unbeaten in their last four world cup qualifiers, uh, heading into this week. Um, Canada suffering a massive, massive, massive blow with Alfonso Davies going out because of COVID. And now I believe a heart condition that's going to see him sidelined well through this world cup qualifying stage and canada going to have a couple of very difficult matches including hosting the united states uh coming up uh, in the middle of this qualifying window they're also going to have el salvador and honduras uh, on the road so they're going to have to travel to south to uh to central america and then uh hosting you know one of their biggest competitors in the region and the team that's one point behind them in the united states the United States also looking very well at the moment. Um, if you want to talk about a midfield that's in form, between the um, between the way Chris, um, Weston mckinney has been playing, Eunice Musa scoring on the weekend, his first goal in La Liga this season, um, you've got Christian Pulisic returning, uh, you know, healthy. There's a lot of good going on for the United States going into this World Cup qualifying round. Um, but their toughest match is going to be Alfonso less Canada. And then there's always Mexico looming, right? And Mexico are going to have to open with Jamaica, who, like we just said, are are on a on a better run of form than they have been. Um, and Michael Antonio, as far as I know, will be available to Jamaica going into this round. What are your thoughts, Roberto, on, on on Concacaf? And do we see maybe a team or two qualifying by the end of this particular window?
2: Um, I don't know about that. I mean, I think what 21 24 points are needed to qualify for the world cup with only uh, a couple games in hand i think it's after february there's only three more games i mean yeah it's likely it's likely i think obviously picking up points at home is necessary in the united states and if they can get something in canada who are obviously looking to qualify for their first world cup in a long time i think yeah i think it's safe to say that they should have enough to get over the line and and rightly so, I think um, you know it's it's definitely a, a side that needed that kind of uh, wake up call, and so I feel as if though getting the results that they need and to pick it up as soon as possible is, is important, and you know, you know they don't want to go into having to deal with two road games in March to Mexico at the Azteca and then Costa Rica, which are tough in itself. Um, so you want to pick up those points just in case that. Um, Things do go wrong in in March, yeah. but um, looking at the other teams, I think Canada are really looking good. You know, I, I think they are really in a good spot to qualify, in. and I'm happy to see that because I think it's been so long since they haven't been to a World Cup. When that, again, with this talent that they have at their disposal, with the likes of Alfonso Davies, who you know is not on the side, but could be in the World Cup squad. But you still have players like Kyle Lahren, um Jonathan Davis. Oh, I'm sorry, I think um, no, correct me wrong. Davis is not on this team.
1: Alfonso Davies is not because of his his cardiac condition
2: and COVID. Exactly, yeah, Yeah. that's what I thought. So you still got Larry and you still got David and you still got talented players on that side. And, you know, it's looking good for them. Mm -hmm. For Mexico, I mean, (laughs) they desperately need to also pick up points. And, you know, I think, you know, the schedule looks a bit more light in a way, if we can say that. You know, they, they play Jamaica away, then they host Costa Rica, the Azteca, and then they play a Panama side who. Obviously, are looking to qualify for the World Cup, inter- the uh, Confederation, inter-, inter Confederation playoffs. That's a mouthful. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, and, and, and looking at how far fourth and fifth place are, was five points or something like that, mm. that, is, that is crucial. And so, the more of a, of a distance that Mexico can make with the other sides, the more likely that it's, it's better for them to, to qualify. So, mm. yeah, I mean, I think you have your four. I think you have your four that are, or at least the three that are going to qualify for the World Cup, and then your fourth place spot that could decide. Um, you know, I think they played the team from from Oceania, which could be possibly New Zealand. So it's looking pretty good, honestly. But uh, you know what they say in con- in uh, Concacaf, you know, it isn't over till it's over, and especially um, from the last seconds of the games, as we've seen from Mexico getting from the elimination spot to the playoffs in 2014 to the United States in prime position to qualify to that and not qualifying in 2018. So, uh, this does not this isn't over by a long shot, but, uh, I'm excited. I'm definitely excited. And hopefully, you know, as American fans, as American soccer fans that the United
1: States can secure
2: qualification uh, as soon as
1: possible. So for me, this is a massive, massive window for Mexico going in because the teams that the three teams that they have in this window, um, are the exact three teams that are following them or chasing them for that final secured playoff spot? You know they're gonna they're gonna go to Jamaica, but then they get Costa Rica and Panama at home in Azteca. Uh, you know, it, huge advantage for them to be able to play that at home. And then following that, they're gonna get the United States in the next window at Azteca. So these are the these are the teams really for Mexico that that they if if they can really rub out three wins here. And I don't know how they're gonna do it, but if they can get three wins out of three you know, it's going to be massive for them because they'll probably be all but qualified because they're knocking out the opponents that are directly chasing them. Having said that, there is potential here in this window to have a massive disaster and the expense of uh, Tata Martino as the head coach of them, you could easily see the Mexican Federation. If, let's say, Mexico ties Jamaica, ties, uh, beats Costa Rica, but then ties Panama, you could literally see the Mexican Federation say, hey, you know, maybe Tata's not the way to go. Um, You know, it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately business, but could you see Tata getting sacked at the end of this this window? Yeah.
2: No. 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 I think...
1: uh, It's Tata or bust. Basically, yeah. If they don't qualify,
2: then it's his job.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, if Mexico does not qualify for the World Cup, which means they would have to land in fifth place, and we've seen continental giants get eliminated in fifth place right where it's still fresh in our memory from 2018 as american soccer fans uh you know it absolutely has to mean tata's job at minimum you know i I think you could see a whole cleaning house in the mexican federation if they didn't qualify. having said that i i do think mexico are going to get through it's it's a matter of when and not if but um, it could be squeaky bum time for Tata Martino if this window does not go as planned for him. And they've lost two straight. They've lost their last two matches in World Cup qualifying. So they are in a, in a difficult spot here. And, and I think that um, all eyes are going to be on Mexico in this window more so than I think Canada and the United States just strictly because of the strength of schedule in this window. I think Mexico have the tougher road in this particular window. And I think that's going to play into, you know, how how Mexico is perceived Moving forward, so let's um let's look at the last group, my friend, because I know we're going to get into it with uh with Tim Vickery uh, as soon as uh you know when we add him in here, but uh, the bowl window is certainly uh, an exciting one, and when you get into it, Argentina, Brazil have already qualified. That is official; it's mathematically official. You probably have Ecuador all the way through at this point. They're on twenty three points. They're currently sitting third. Um, and you know, given, given their schedule, it's not brutal, but it's not easy as, as Conmebol always is. Um, and I do have the schedule here handy and I can give you that rundown real quick. So they have four matches left to qualify in Conmebol right now. Ecuador is looking at Brazil at home, Peru on the road, Paraguay on the road and Argentina at home. Obviously Brazil and Argentina have already qualified. I don't know what kind of teams you're going to see come to those, uh, qualifiers, but Peru and Paraguay, um, more so Peru than Paraguay, are really fighting for those last spots. So that could be a tough spot in this window for Ecuador. Um, the other team that I think has a great chance to qualify is Colombia. They have Peru at home, who is also fighting for that spot with them. Argentina on the road, Bolivia at home, and Venezuela on the road as well. So they've got, that, they've got those bottom teams uh, in Bolivia and Venezuela in the list here. I think Colombia is very close to qualifying and could do with this window. Um, unfortunately for Paraguay, I don't think they're going to make it. And, and you know, I know that's, that's tough. You and I could be sitting on the sidelines, my friend, again, with our, with our nationalities, um, you know, missing the World Cup. There's a very real chance of that happening. Um, without giving away too much of what Tim Vickery said, what are your thoughts on Conmebol, um, especially this window? Do we see Ecuador get over the, uh, go get, get over the line in this window? Um, or do we see maybe somebody like Bolivia actually step back into the race and make things difficult?
2: Yeah, it's, it's really going to be a, a really tight window of two games. Um, I think, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, the qualified teams of Brazil and Argentina, who have their strongest squads regardless, you know, approach these games, especially because they're playing teams that are desperate for qualification for the World Cup. You know, like, like you said, Ecuador is hosting Brazil and then Brazil have to play Paraguay whereas Argentina have to travel to Chile and then host Colombia on this match day. So I think um, I think really when you look at it, for Uruguay sense, I think, you know, and, and I'm not saying in, in any disrespect to Paraguay, because I also don't think you're going to qualify for the World Cup anyway, but um, I think they could really take an opportunity here and, and get maximum points away to Paraguay, which they've never done ever. they never won a game in Paraguay in their World Cup qualifier history. And then finish it against Venezuela. You know, looking at the other games, they have Peru, and then they play on Chile, so take on Chile. So I think it's really looking very good for these guys. Mm. Um, I do feel confident that they will qualify for the World Cup, whether it be automatically or in the playoff spot. That I can't tell you. But, um, yeah, it's it's, going to be tight. For Bolivia, I mean, you know, they haven't won an away game in years, decades even. So they're going to have to pick up... uh, the most that they can do is obviously win the game at Venezuela under Jose Peckerman, the new manager. So um, yeah, it's, it's really tough. Chile have a tight game. They have a tight schedule uh, in general, really, you know, having to play Argentina and then having to travel to La Paz and altitude against Bolivia. So, you know, and then obviously taking on Brazil in Brazil and then Uruguay in the final game. Um, so I, Think they won't have enough to go over the line, and for Peru, I think, um, yeah, I think just because of them also traveling to Colombia and then taking on Ecuador, Uruguay, and then Paraguay, I think they they'll be able to get some points from some of those games, but I don't think it'll be enough for them to to get over the the hump. I think I see them in in sixth or or seventh place in this sense. Um, but uh, you know, I think Ecuador also, I, I think they do it. I think they do it. I think if they can get the win against Peru and snatch a, a draw in Quito against Brazil. Um... I think that would be enough for them to qualify for the World Cup.
1: Yeah, I think that, and I also think Uruguay can really do the, the best in terms of helping themselves here, given that they've got Paraguay-Venezuela and then Peru. Um, Paraguay-Venezuela, the bottom of the of the table for, for Conmebol, and then you look at Peru, a team that's directly challenging them. I think Colombia can really do a lot of good things here at this point to solidify their their ticket to the, uh, the World Cup in Qatar, so we'll have to see. And we're going to give you matches of the week coming up, of course, uh, that will pertain to these to these particular qualifiers. So um, earlier today we were joined by South American football journalist, Tim Vickery Um, got to dive deeper into the South American world cup qualifiers, got his opinion on all this as well as um, what intrigued me, his, his thoughts on Julian Alvarez, possibly moving to Manchester city. um, Ezekiel Barco going to river plate and also Marcelo Gallardo and his, uh, his time there as well. Um, What kind of assurances might've been made. Also, Diego Valeri moving back to his boyhood club, Lanús. We talked about that as well. So um, great stuff in this interview, and we hope you enjoy it. So without further ado, the Tim Vickery interview. And joining us now on Low Limit Football, South American football journalist Tim Vickery. Tim, welcome back to the show. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show, especially when we lead into World Cup qualifying, so I'm going to kick it off with a with a very general question. We've really got uh, five teams vying for two spots left in World Cup qualifying in Conmebol. We know that Argentina and Brazil have already moved through. Both have been unbeaten and a game at hand uh, against each other leading into these final rounds of qualifying. And with four matches left, we see Ecuador currently leading the way at 23 points, and then it gets very, very tight with Colombia at 17, Peru 17, Chile at 16, Uruguay at 15. I think at this point we probably would count Bolivia out as it seems Seems like a bridge too far to travel. Um, I wouldn't. Oh, I wouldn't. All right. Well, let's add them into the mix. I don't have their schedule yeah. to close, but I th- was looking at the schedules between the teams. And uh, for me, Colombia has the easiest run with Peru at home, Argentina on the road, Bolivia at home, and Venezuela on the road. I think they have the easiest path to get one of those spots. If we're counting Ecuador in as the final team or, or one of the final teams, which of the other teams do you think, including Bolivia, has the best chance to qualify in that fourth spot?
0: Well, remember, you said two spots. Let's not forget that half spot, that playoff spot, because uh, at the moment, a lot of those company, those countries would take it. And uh, let's remember that 2010, Uruguay came through the playoff spot and ended, ended up reaching the semi-finals of the World Cup. So um, the playoff spot is, is important as well. Um, something is going to have to go badly wrong for Ecuador to fail. Um, and it will be a mathematical, it will be astonishing mathematically, if Ecuador don't go into the final two rounds still in third place, they've got a six-point lead uh, over Colombia and an eleven-goal lead in goal difference. They would, they would, so they would have to lose both their games. Colombia would have to win both of theirs and by a margin of, of more than eleven goals, uh, twelve goals really. Um, so Ecuador, something's going to have to have to go badly wrong for Ecuador. If I'm looking at the others, um, which is Colombia, Peru, Chile, Uruguay, Bolivia, and Paraguay, need an absolute miracle, don't they? Sorry, sorry, Roberto, <laughs> sorry. But uh, Paraguay would have to do something that no one has ever done before, which is win a World Cup qualifier in Brazil if they are to have any hope of, of progressing. Um, my money at the moment would be for if we include Ecuador as over the line, which they nearly are, my money on the the last one and a half spots would be on Colombia and on Uruguay. Um, But the reason I said don't rule out Bolivia is they seem to be moving in an interesting direction. And uh, I I don't think there's ever been in history uh, Mm -hmm. Venezuela against Bolivia. That is as important as this one. In the next round, uh, on Friday, I think they they meet because and Bolivia's problem obviously is picking up uh, wins away from home, picking up enough points away from home to to get over the line. Um, you back them at home against Chile. You maybe even would back them at home against Brazil in the last round, uh, in that last couplet. But can they pick up? They have got to pick up something away from home, and it's Venezuela. Uh, who are the only team who are totally, totally out of the running. It's the first game under the new coach, the, uh, the um, vastly experienced and very respected uh, Argentine Jose Peckerman. Um, but so Bolivia in there as well, and it, it, it's going to go right down to the wire. It's a time for having a calculator in one hand and a phone number of the cardiologist in the other.
2: Now, Tim, obviously looking at all of the other teams that you know we mentioned, like Peru, like Chile, you know, and even Uruguay as well. I mean, you look at the different scenarios, obviously Uruguay come in with a new manager having sacked Oscar Tavares, him in Diego Alonso. And just, you know, I think for them it's really interesting to see how this side with all the talent that they've had, you know, making it to World Cups, uh, going far in World Cups actually, you know, and, and you know, winning um obviously they won the Copa America ten years ago, but they also had done well in that competition as well. So what do you expect from this Uruguay side? And, you know, how do you feel as if, though, they got into this situation, um, given the
0: amount of talent that they have at their disposal? Well, a, a while ago, they were flying. I mean, from the, the September dates, no one picked up more points than they did. So what went wrong? Two things. Number one, the fixture list, because they had, they had a run of nasty, nasty fixtures all in a row, you know, away to Brazil two times, home and away against Argentina, the dreaded, the dreaded trip to to Bolivia, uh, to the altitude of, of, of Bolivia. And the vital moment for me was in the first of those games, when it started to go wrong, it was a home to, home to Colombia. And for the first half hour, they were as good as anyone has been during this campaign. They were as good as Brazil, who've been very good. They were as good as Argentina, who've been very good. They could easily have been winning 4-0 after half an hour. They had uh, one goal narrowly ruled out by VAR. Uh, Suarez missed a sitter. There was lots of dynamism and there was lots of chances. And then what happened? Jimenez got injured and limped off. Uh, And uh, they're dependent on him. Um, And when they went away to Brazil, the centre-backs were Godin and Coates. Not a hope and Godin is now at the veteran stage when he really needs nursing, you may be able to get get away with one of Godin and Coates, but there's no way you could get away with both. And I spoke to the Brazil, to Chichi, Brazil's coach, about this game, and he said, yeah, two slow centre-backs, party time. Um, so that that injury to Jimenez, plus there was an injury to Araujo as well, and that absolutely tanked them because uh, I don't think Especially, I don't think they can chase the game um, if they lose the first goal with uh, uh, without Jimenez, maybe without Araujo um, as well. That, so th- that that was uh, that I think derailed them and uh, turned some difficult games into into heavy defeats. There's been another problem that they've had for a while now, which is can you still play Cavani and Suarez together? Uh, some of their best football recently in the last few months, including that first half hour against, uh, against Colombia, was uh, when they decided, no, we can't play them both. We'll play one. We'll leave the other one on the bench. Um, and and that, that, it, it just seems to suit their attacking midfielders so much more, not being shoehorned into a into a 2 system. So these are the big decisions that Alonso has to make coming in. With much easier fixtures in the in the running for for him for Uruguay, but he's, he's uh will he still play Godín and Jimenez clearly if he's fit and that's the problem with Jimenez so often he's unfit. Jimenez will play. He's uh, he's probably the first name name on the team sheet now, so that that's one thing. Are you still going to play Godín alongside him? Are you going to play all Maybe go with three with uh, who Godín and, and and Jimenez. It's a possibility. At least then you got some defensive pace. And the other question for him is, is he still going to go with uh, with Cavani and Suarez together? Um, will Will that work? Um, but if he can get those decisions right, then uh, I would rather be Uruguay than a lot of those teams who are in the dogfight.
2: Well, I'll definitely keep an eye on that as I'll be at the stadium for the Paraguay-Uruguay uh, game. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens.
1: Now, Tim, I have a question about Diego Alonso coming in for Oscar Tavares, obviously coming in midstream here during world cup qualifying and, and given the dogfight that Uruguay are in to get uh, qualified here. They also currently are on a run of the losing their last four matches in world cup qualifying. But as Roberto indicated, the big matchup this week with uh, Paraguay uh, on the road in Asuncion, what kind of team do you expect to see out of Diego Alonso? And really, I want to rephrase the question. How different will Diego Alonso's Uruguay look in comparison to Oscar Tabarez's Uruguay, uh, uh, to Uruguay that we've seen for many, many years?
0: Yeah, well, th- th- this is what I'm waiting to see. Will he go with with both Suarez and Cavani, or will he will he do something other than 4-4-2? Um, I, I it, it's totally understandable for me that tabaris decided to stay on after the World Cup in Russia because you might have thought, you know, with his age and with his health, that would be the time to to quit. Mm-hmm. You know, he's done a magnificent job. Uh, and uh, Uruguay, who I think they they'd made one of the previous four World Cups, under him they made three, always qualified from the group. And uh, in two of those three, statistically, Uruguay were the best South American side. And it's, it's, an, it's an extraordinary uh, achievement. But he didn't quit because he, he could see Qatar as the competition where he would still have his veterans. He would mm. still have Suarez, Cavani and Godin, Caceres, uh, some who've, who've given him so much over the years, he would still have them, and he would have this very talented generation of midfielders, Valverde especially, uh, Bentancur, although he hasn't quite developed as as you'd have hoped, um, ben, Bentancur, um, Diarrascayeta, uh, uh, Torres, you know some 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 lovely names there, uh, Jimenez, Araújo who coming through, so you could see why he wanted to stay and why he wanted to end it. In, uh, in in Qatar. But well, it hasn't proved possible. I think that the, uh, the the fixture list and the injury to Jimenez had a, had a lot to do with that. Uh, and it's clear that Alonso is, is going to retain plenty of Tabarez. And the players still have immense respect for Tabarez. And Alonso has said uh, the, one, the thing that is staying is the identification that they have with the shirt that, uh, that, that Tabarez fostered all the way through the youth ranks. But Alonso is also going to be his own man. He's made a point of calling up people who didn't fit, who Tabarez thought maybe were disruptive influences. Uh, Nico López, the striker. Sosa in goal, and he's got to, he's got to put in an, a, 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 an untried goalkeeper with Muslera injured. Will he go for the long-term replacement Campagna, who's in the Middle East, or will he bring in Sosa? Uh, so he's got some big decisions to make, and it will be immediately uh evidence that he is his own man but i'm very intrigued to see what he does with this side it's it's certainly a crucial time for
1: him to be opening his book of business uh as the national team coach that's for sure um before we let you go i do want to ask you about a couple of players in um that have made the move this week from mls back to argentina Uh, And and very interesting moves. One, and they're kind of uh, polar opposites. The first one, Diego Valeri, who goes from Portland Timbers back to his uh, childhood club in Lanus. I spent eight years in the MLS uh, scoring 86 goals in 242 matches. He's won MLS Cup with the Portland Timbers um, and certainly considered a, a Timbers legend um, mm-hmm. Kind of an older player, though. I believe he's 32, if I remember correctly, going back to Lanusta, you know, for maybe his swan song with his boyhood club. What are your thoughts on that move? And I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you the second part as well in Ezekiel Barco, who is going from Atlanta United to River Plate. Um, and it's a very, a very different move from uh, from Diego Valeri in the fact that uh, Ezekiel Barco is 21 years old. So kind of cut his teeth in MLS for three years, you know, up here at Atlanta. Of course, one MLS Cup with Atlanta United as well. But now goes to River Plate, who's losing Julian Alvarez to Manchester City, by all reports. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on the two moves going to MLS? And even then, with Julian Alvarez going to uh, potentially going to Manchester City?
0: Well, yeah, Valeri will be a, a spring chicken next to the uh, Lanus centre-forward, Jose Sand, who's 41. <laughs> wow. Um, good player, Valeri. But I, I always thought, you know, um, Europe... I remember Zanetti years and years ago when he was at Lanus' first time around saying, he'll do well in Europe. And I never thought he would. He's just not quite quick enough. Um, I, but I, I still think he's a player with with, uh, with a lot to give. Um, and uh, why not? You know, um, uh, why not round it off with uh, a few years with Lanús? Barakó is is interesting. I wonder if Barakó regrets going to MLS in terms of his long term career developments. I wonder. Uh, and I saw him step up and take a vital penalty in the packed Maracanã Stadium in a final. You know, in the mm. final of the the Sudamericana, the Europa League equivalent. You know, at eighteen. You're thinking, blimey, that's personality. That's strength of personality. Where, where's this fellow going to go? Um, the River Plate project is interesting because uh, they persuaded the coach, Marcelo Gajardo to stay on. And it looked obvious that he was going to leave at the end of last year when they finally won a league title. He's been there what, nearly seven and a half years now. Mm. Uh, and he's won everything apart from the Argentine League. But he finally did that last year. Was that going to be it? Was that going to be over? No. They've persuaded him to stay. And uh, they persuaded him to stay with the idea that River can form a team that can compete with the Brazilians in the Copa Libertadores. Because you can see this every year since River Plate won it in in 18, in 2018, 2018. every year they've got worse against the Brazilians. You know, in in, in, uh, 19, they so nearly won the final, but it was snatched at the end away by Flamengo. In 20, they so nearly made it to the final, but were just knocked out by Palmeiras in the semi-final. Uh, and then well, last year, you know, they weren't even competitive in, uh, in um, earlier knockout knockout rounds. They were they were savaged home and away mm. by Atlético Mineiro. Um, and, and so, I think a promise has been made to to Gossado to ensure that he's he's got a, a really competitive lineup, and no doubt about it, Barco makes that lineup. More, it gives it more quality, uh, uh, and uh, well, with with Julian Alvarez, and the reports are oh, that if this did, does go through, it's going to go through in June. Okay. I wonder, I wonder if uh, River Plate will use a few levers to say, you know, assuming that they make it out of the group phase of the Libertadores, can't we have him till the end of the year, till the Libertadores is done and dusted, and then and, and then you take him? Um, the the idea, I think, uh, of uh, Alvarez teaming up with Barakul is, is very exciting because uh, um, you can see them blending very, very well together. And it's good news for the Libertadores because um, the, the competition. I mean, last year, uh, those three Brazilian giants, uh, the two finalists, Palmeiras Flamengo and Atletico Mineiro, in all of the games they played, which is over 35 games, only lost twice. Um, that was Flamengo lost to Palmeiras in the final, mm-hmm. and Palmeiras lost a group game when they when they fielded a, a reserve side. So uh, it's become it's becoming hard for anyone to 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 land a glove on them. Hopefully, with uh, some of the other signings that River are making as well in other positions, River Plate are going to have a team that uh, can make the Libertadores more interesting in 22.
1: It's a far cry from the uh, 2018 final when they had to move the second leg of the Superclásico to uh, to Spain uh, because of all the upheaval and, and the, all the violence that happened in between legs. Um, it's certainly interesting to see, and and you you kind of brought up a point where you were you know for Barco was this something that um, maybe he regretted moving to MLS? I you know I'm wondering the same question when he moved to MLS. You had Miguel Amiron, you had an informed Joseph Martinez up there. I mean they they were really building something big and. I don't think Barco ever got, got to the point where I think Atlanta fans or the Atlanta brass thought that he was going to get. Um, do you think this was a regret on Barco's part, just as much as it might have been a regret on uh, Atlanta United's part?
0: Well, perhaps, yes. Um, one or two things, it seems, from long distance, haven't quite gone right there. Um, on a broader point with the MLS, I was absolutely intrigued to read an interview with the, the New York striker um, Thales Magno, Brazilian, who came from from Vasco da Gama, uh, and uh, came off the bench in that final, scored in the penalty shootout, so he helped his team win the the, the championship there. Mm-hmm. But he said that when he moved up, he thought that he was going to be one of the best players. That was his expectation. And when he arrived, he found that he was he was way off the pace. Mm everything was happening too quickly for him and he had to really focus and work hard to get his game up to the level where he could be useful for the team even as a substitute coming on in extra time and he saw that as a as a triumph in the end you know the fact that he 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 ended up being useful to the team uh, and uh, what he said was uh, you know the mls is it's more intense it's more compact it's quicker than in, uh, than certainly than, than than Brazilian football, and that would apply to all South American as well. Uh, and uh, I read that with great interest, with with real interest. Um It would seem to. I, I remember uh, having a chat with Adrian Heath a few years ago, when he brought he was Orlando City coach at the time, and he brought his team down for a friendly against Flamengo. And after the game, when they lost somewhat unjustly, they'd lost one nil. He said, you know, before the game, I'd have taken that result. Afterwards, after watching it, I'm disappointed. Uh, and uh, MLS is 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 moving. It's 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 it's, it's moving in, in the right direction, and it's going to surprise people with what it's capable of. I'm surprised that they can't seem to get past the Mexicans in the uh, the, the uh, CONCACAF Champions League, uh, and then storm the uh, the the Club World Championship and make that map more interesting. Do you think that day is far off? I'm
1: I'm concerned, you know. There there are moments when I feel like MLS is really on that front foot moving forward, and there and there's finally going to be a challenge to that uh, Liga MX dominance. And then somewhere in between the quarterfinals and the semifinals, it just sputters. And I think for me. Part of the issue with MLS teams going into that competition is when they get to those knockout stages, usually the MLS sides are two or three weeks away from being in season where the Mexican sides have already had a preseason under their belt. They've already had a couple of games in the Apertura, if I remember correctly. And and so I think the the Mexican sides are always a little more seasoned going into that final run, whereas the MLS sides are not. And I think that this season um, might change things a little bit because I think this season you're going to see MLS start a little sooner because of the World Cup. I think that I think that this might be the year that there's a potential for um, it come down to a nail biter at the end. Tim,
0: I'll look out! Look uh, look out for that with interest. Absolutely. So,
1: Tim, again, thank you for joining us on the show. Always a pleasure, pleasure. to go through uh, South American football with you. And the, all the best. And we'll speak again very soon, my friend.
0: Look forward to it. Cheers.
1: And special thanks again to Tim Vickery for joining us on the show. Roberto, we have got a full schedule this week for matches of the week. Uh, So let me run it down. It is an all-international break matches of the week. Starting on Monday, Cameroon Comoros, one of those upstart teams in Comoros, 2 p.m. kicking off in the knockout stages of the African Cup of Nations. Then on Tuesday, Senegal-Cape Verde at 11 a.m. On Wednesday, the big one for me, uh, Ivory Coast and Egypt at 11 a.m. on Wednesday. Thursday, we get into World Cup qualifiers. Iran-Iraq at 9.30 a.m. for the Asian qualifying. Then we go to Ecuador-Brazil at 4 p.m., Paraguay-Uruguay at 6 p.m., Jamaica-Mexico at 7 p.m., USA-El Salvador 7 p.m., and Chile-Argentina 7.15 p.m. You're probably going to want to pull up a few computer screens for that that 7 o'clock window, because that's insane. On Friday, Colombia, Peru at 4 p.m., and then we go to Sunday, next Sunday, and we will see Canada and the United States kick off at 3.05 p.m. and Mexico, Costa Rica at 6 p.m. Check your local listings for matches of the week after that, because we are off next weekend. You're going to have more World Cup qualifying, and then you're going to get back into the leagues uh, on our return. So, Mr. Rojas, you gave me... A great trivia question about free kick takers in the Premier League. Why don't you lay it on us again?
2: Yes, I will. So uh, during this week, we saw James Warprose enter the list of most career free kick goals in Premier League history. He's reached the top four in second at the moment, tied with two other players with 12 goals and just six shy of the all-time record holder. Who are
1: the three? Okay, so... Um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to admit that I'm totally guessing at this, but notorious free kick taker, who's currently back in the premier league. I'm going to throw his name out first in Cristiano Ronaldo. He's not in the top four. All right. I'm going to give you another name, uh, a retired player, uh, Wayne Rooney. Nope. Wow. All right. Last one that I'm going to give you. And, and again, like I said, I was spitballing, uh, Gianfranco Zola. Gianfranco Zola actually is on this list Wow, with 12 goals. Okay. Can I give you one more name then? Yes. Paul Scholes? He is not on this list. All right. You're going to have to give it to me then. I'm really surprised you didn't get
2: the, the all-time record holder because this is a guy really famous for his free kicks. Yeah. He used to play in the Premier League. Hmm. Want to give me
1: more hints? Nationality? If I give it to you, it's, you're gonna give it away. Nationality's it, gonna give it away, huh? It's it, he's English. He's English. Um, so I'm I'm either guessing one of the it's, most it's,
2: famous it's either, soccer players in the world.
1: Oh Jesus, bend it like Beckham, David Beckham.
2: David Beckham with the record of 18 goals. To his name is on the top of the list. Dummy, what a dummy I am. I can't believe that. Uh, uh last one. Uh, maybe I can give you a hint. Okay. Um, uh, legendary
1: player at Arsenal is it Thierry Henry? Thierry Henry. Yeah, I know I wanted to say Thierry Henry when I was giving you names. Ah, okay. The list goes as followed. 18 goals for David
2: Beckham for the most career free kick goals in Premier League history, followed by a three-way tie between Thierry Henry, Gianfranco Zola, and new to the list James ward prost
1: God, I think I got I think I got the hardest name on the list. <laughs> 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 it's just crazy, but a great great trivia question, my friend. So Without any further ado, we have nothing left on the list, so let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, here we go. So for episode 347 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Tim Vickery for joining us on the show. We are off next week, and we will be returning uh, in February with more great action. We'll cover the World Cup qualifiers for all these teams, give you the African Cup of Nations champion, and look forward to the rest of the season, especially... Champions League and Europa League that'll be kicking off soon so for episode 347 of Low Limit Football I'm Joe Ucello
2: I'm Roberto Rojas
1: thanks for listening everyone and good night